Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. For those of you that know me well, you'll realise that my, my day job, my nine to five, if there was such a nice, comfortable thing as a nine to five, is that I work as the Dean of Pastoral Care in the college. And I gesture behind me because my office is back that way by a few hundred metres. And uh, on Friday, just gone, I went into the day feeling really excited. I was going into the day <clears throat> with this real sense that today is going to be good. It's, it's going to be relaxed which is a bit weird for me. I don't normally go into the week feeling that, but I just had this sense. I knew I had a bunch of meetings coming up. I knew I had some high-pressured meetings in the afternoon, but I had a good feels weekend and all the rest of it. So I rolled into the day and my first meeting was eight in the morning and they went back to back all the way through to one o'clock. I didn't really have any breaks in between and I got to the end of that one o'clock meeting and I thought, well, I better just check my calendar to make sure that the PA hasn't put anything additional in that I do have that little window of break that I'm expecting. And as I, as I opened up my calendar to make sure that I knew what was coming for the afternoon, I got a surprise. And it was a good kind of surprise because all of a sudden my 2.30 and my 3.30, which I knew were going to be tough meetings, they just weren't there. They, they're waiting for me this week. <laughs> They'd been removed. So here's a question. You've had a really busy season or three, four, five weeks, whatever it is for you, and you've gone through a really busy season and you find yourself on a Friday at one o'clock and what you thought you're going to be doing is no longer there, so you've got a whole bunch of free time. What do you do? The first thing I did is I went and had lunch because the most important thing to do after a bunch of meetings on a Friday is to eat food. And as I was sitting down eating my lunch, I was thinking to myself, okay, what shall I do? And I came with two really solid conclusions. Number one, I'm getting out of here early. I'm going to go at three o'clock just before all the students leave. I'm sneaking out of this place. I am gapping it. I am taking off. You're going to pay me, but I'm not going to be here. It's going to be good. And the other thing I thought I'd do is, hey, look, I know I'm working for the school, but I'm preaching on Sunday a couple of times. So I thought what I'd do is I'd sneak in a bit of cheeky time and I'd spend some time in the Word just preparing for this morning and tonight. I'd spend some quality God time in my free time. I made that decision as I'm finishing the last of my food. My phone's on the table, which I really wish I didn't have my phone with me because it just it vibrated. I did what everyone does when their phone vibrates. I picked it up, I opened it up, and I read my message. And I can't tell you what it said, other than the fact it said, urgent now. And so I found myself going into a series of, of meetings and discussions, and I finished the day late, and there's still work that comes to be picked up on Monday. And I, I bolted home, and I had this headache because I was tired. And then I bolted back here because we had youth ministry, which ended late. And I don't know if you've ever found that life is just a bit like that. That's just how things play out. When you think you're catching a break, <clears throat> when you think you've come to a point where you're ahead on your assignments and you just have some spare time, somehow, always, something just pops up. And when these things pop up, when things just creep into our schedules, the thing that often suffers most is that God gets pushed to the side. Have you had that experience? What about this one? My eldest daughter, she's four years old and my wife and I, we've divided the chores at home. So my wife puts the youngest who's 18 months to sleep and I put the eldest who's four years old to sleep. Uh, I guess if we're amazing parents, she'd put herself to sleep, but we're just average parents. So we have to do the hard work ourselves. And Mayor Rose and I have this awesome bedtime routine. I love it most of the time. 
we, we, we jump into bed together and what we do is we read a book. At the moment, we're going through the Harry McClary series. Yeah, really good. Uh, here's a little test. Then we do a devotional. <laughs> all right, you all need to get saved. Um, we, we read Harry McClary at the moment. We do a devotional. Then we'll often talk about our favourite songs, our favourite Disney song, our little kid song, and our favourite grown-up song. Uh, one of our favourite grown-up songs is written by my brother. She's never heard it, but she claims to like it. So you, know, you should check it out. Bridges by Atlas Chasers. Small plug there. Um, <clears throat> we talk about our favourite animals. It has to be our dog, but then we talk about what other animals could be our favourite. Then she's got this little butterfly toy that actually shoots starlights onto the roof. We turn that on, we listen to some music, but we have to choose our favourite star. And because I can move the butterfly different places around the room, our favourite star changes every single night and we pray together. That's our bedtime routine. But as every single person in this room will know, sometimes you don't quite get to bed when you want to. And when you've got little kids, you've, you've actually got to get them to sleep. Otherwise, the next day is just, whoo. So sometimes I've got to rush that little schedule. I've got to cut something out. And my, my daughter, Maya Rose, she doesn't actually mind when I cut some things out of that schedule. But there's one non-negotiable. There's one thing that we have to do every single night before she goes to sleep. What do you think it is? I wish this was a dad brag moment where I could say before we sleep, we have to read the Bible or we have to pray. Dad failed. It's definitely not that. She does not mind skipping the scripture stuff. Every night before I put my daughter to sleep, she absolutely has to have the nightlight on and the favorite star picked. Can't sleep without doing that. She's four, but I think she's almost encapsulated what life is like for all of us. If you think about it this way, I think for every single person, as long as we get enough of what we want, we're satisfied. If you're a note taker, write it down and think about it. As long as we get enough of what we want, we're satisfied. Would you say that's true for you? If you get enough of what you want, are you satisfied? You see, right now we're in the middle of a series and uh, what we've been doing is uh, looking at discipleship and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And the topic I was given today was a passage that was just assigned within the preaching notes. And I just love it. It's short. It's not easy. It's short. And there's just so much in it. See, what Jesus has been doing is he's been addressing a group of his followers and uh, they just like us. They don't know what to prioritise in their busy lives and they're not exactly sure what Jesus wants them to do. So that's our little context. I did this to you guys recently. I'm going to do it to you guys again because I know how long I'm about to preach for. So I want you to stand up in reverence for the Word and just to get your blood flowing. So let's just stand together. We're going to read the Word. Tonight's Word's a bit different. We camped in the Message Translation. It's from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. So when you sit down, you can get that in there. But let's just read the Word together. It says this, Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
What an incredibly powerful passage that we have recorded in Scripture for us. Hey, you may be seated, but let's, let's get ready. We've got to work this out. What on earth is Jesus talking about in this point? So as I was saying, Jesus, He's speaking to faithful people. They've committed themselves to His mission, to serving alongside Him. He's just said some really, really tough stuff, which I'm glad I'm not preaching on. And then He jumps into this. And he begins with these questions. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? And that's all of us. At some point in our lives, all of us get to this moment where we go, I'm just not so sure. He's speaking to a group of of people who are primarily Jewish. And so as he's talking to them, he's saying, are you struggling under the, the weight of religion? Are you struggling to keep up with all the laws? Are you finding it hard to keep the rules to be a good... Are you struggling to make sure you tick every box to make sure that you're getting into heaven? Is it tough just living in the society where we're being enslaved by and persecuted and ruled over by the Romans? He says, if that's how you're feeling as a follower of me, then this is what you need to do. And I think that if Jesus were addressing it into our context, He would say something maybe a little bit more like this to us. He says, if you're not sure how to follow me at work, part-time job, you might be at Macca's or at a phone store, maybe you're a tradie or maybe you're an engineer. If you're not sure how to follow me at work, if you find that it's a struggle to figure out what it means to actually love your neighbour, if you find yourself tempted and squashed by the pace of 20th century, 21st century life, listen, this is what you need to know. Come to me. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. The NIV translation says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And in Scripture, as we read it from cover to cover, and I'm just going to choose two snapshots, we see the difference that coming to Jesus makes over and over and over again. Take, for example, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He made his living, he made his wealth by taking more taxes than required to get rich. And to cut a long, long story short, there comes a point in Zacchaeus' life where he just realises that he needs to make a decision. He makes this decision. He wants to change, but he doesn't know how. And so he's out one day and there's this commotion through the streets. He's a short little dude and he wants to find out what's happening because he's just a little bit curious. So he goes, oh, well, I think the commotion is moving in this direction. So I'm going to run on ahead. I'm going to climb up a tree and I'm going to see what everyone is looking in on because, gee, it's not safe for a short guy amongst these people. And it's Jesus and He's doing what He does as He walks through the crowds and He gets to the tree that Zacchaeus is perched up in and He looks up and He says, Zacchaeus... Come down, come to me, meet with me, lay your burdens on me, follow me. There's another encounter, it's recorded in John 4, where uh, a Samaritan woman has gone to a, a well to get water. And she's trapped in a cycle of destructive relationships. And so she's there to get water and Jesus is just chilling out. You think he's there for a break, but knowing Jesus, he's just, he's there to meet the woman. And they start up a conversation and Jesus is there and He invites her to follow Him into something bigger. He invites her into a relationship with Him. 
And it's at this point that the woman has to make a choice. Continue with her agenda, grab her water, go back to the city, and continue on with her relationships and her lifestyle as it was, or forget all of that and connect with and follow this total stranger. And we're told that she chooses to enter into God's story, and many people are saved. You see, in life, and this again is just something that counts for all of us, we are always moving towards something or someone. Every single person in this room, every person is moving towards something or someone. And Jesus says, here it is, plain and simple. There's someone that you need to head towards, that's me. And the something that you need to head towards, that's my kingdom come, my will be done. So right now, if you think about your life, what is it that you are moving towards? What are your priorities? Could it be that maybe like Zacchaeus, you're stuck in a destructive, dishonest cycle through business. Maybe it's less dramatic than that. Maybe it's just quite simply that as you, as you look at your life, your number one priority is work. Or could it be that as you think through all your various friendships, your relationships with your family, with your colleagues, could it be that as you look into that space, you realise that you've actually over time developed a cycle of harmful relationships, of harmful interactions? Jesus is saying to you today, if you're one of my followers, are you tired? Are you worn out? Come to me. Come. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. The hard thing about walking towards Jesus is that from the onset, it always feels and always seems to be really counterintuitive and logical. Do you remember when Jesus called his first disciples? Remember that account? Peter and Andrew, they're brothers, they own a small fishing business. They're, they're out doing their work. They're in the water. Jesus is an unknown. He rocks up and he says, hey, lads, you catch fish for a living. How about you come catch men with me for a living? And at that point, I'm thinking that these guys are thinking, oh, well, we'll follow this Jesus guy and just see what this crazo is up with because maybe we'll get entertained and then we can go back to catching fish. And as they step off their boat and they start following Jesus, they realise that actually this crazy man, there might just be something more to him. And so they go on this three-year journey, but he dies. And so we jump forward from that first come follow me and we're three years on, and the same guys with the group of others, they're out fishing and they've been out fishing all night. And I'm not a fisherman, so I don't get the appeal of it or anything like that. I don't really understand. But my take is this. If you're going to spend a whole night fishing, you probably should catch something. If you can't catch something, you're not a good fisherman. So these guys are out there. They spend the entire night. They're fishing. They got nothing. And Jesus, again, doesn't want to get into the water. He's just on the dirt. And he walks up to the edge of the water. And he says, hey, guys. He's real polite. He says, hey, guys, guess what? You've caught nothing, right? And they're like, uh, yeah, thanks for rubbing it in. Let me tell you something. Just throw your net on the other side. I am sure they thought of that before. 
I am sure they didn't stay in the same spot just hoping that something would swim in. I am sure there was some theory, some method behind the madness of the fishing that clearly didn't work for them. But Jesus says, just there. They throw their nets over because it's not logical. They listen and they pull up so much. The nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. And the story goes on as these guys make counterintuitive, illogical decision after illogical decision to keep following Jesus. I don't know where you're at tonight, whether uh, Jesus is someone that you've known and walked with for a while or whether He's just some concept that most commonly gets spoken about from a stranger on a floor or a stage kind of like this. But the simple reality is just as Jesus did thousands of years ago, the same invitation exists, come to me. Come to me, follow me. What happens when you make the decision to follow Jesus? I wish I could stand here and say, hey, Luke, if you follow Jesus, or hey, Mitch, if you follow Jesus, or hey, John, if you follow Jesus, here's exactly what's going to happen. Here's the prescription. I can't do that. What I can say to you is once you make the decision to follow Jesus, you are going to engage in some of the most remarkable, life-changing, transformative experiences over time. That's going to be awesome. But you're also going to go through struggles and temptation and persecution. Oh yeah, there's no such thing as just getting the easy ride. You look at the first followers of Jesus and they had absolutely everything. They saw the miracles and they were mocked by the same crowd that they healed. But here's what's really important. The important thing is we say, I will choose to come to you, Jesus. That agenda, the someone and the something, that's you, Jesus. I love how the NRV um, translates this passage. It says, Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. So that's all of us at some point when we're honest. And it goes on and says, I'll give you rest. And that's what we all want. And in this passage, it goes on. It says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I uh, Googled this, and you know how trustworthy Google is and Wikipedia and all the rest of it. When I first heard the word yoke, I'm thinking egg, so you can tell how much of a farmer I am. Uh, but when I Googled it, there's this awesome picture that comes up with Wikipedia that has this wooden thing on an ox or a bull. I actually don't know what kind of animal it was, but that's not important. As soon as I saw this, there's four things that instantly hit me in my head that came up. The first thing when you start talking about being yoked to Jesus is that you are connected. You see, if you've ever had the misfortune of reversing a trailer up, sorry, reversing a car up to a trailer and you've got to hitch it, but you don't get it close enough because you're just not that skilled or you don't have a camera, it's really hard to lift and move a trailer, especially when it's full. Add another person and the job's just a little bit easier. When you add a yoke, there's another person or another animal and the task is easier. So Jesus says, you need to yoke yourself to me. Life is not meant to be done alone. And when he says life's not meant to be done alone, he's not saying, hey, you need to have friends, don't be a loner. What he's really saying is you were created by God, for God, to know God. So Jesus says, yoke yourself to me, connect with me, let me pull you through your situations. You've been created by me, for me, to know me. 
Second thing when I think of a yoke is that when animals are yoked together, they have to move in the same direction. And when we connect to God, we have no choice but to move in His direction. Now, you might be one of those people that thinks, ah, you know, I'm going to try yoke myself to God and I'm going to fight Him. Good luck to you. Give it a go. He can take it. Throw your punches. Simple reality is this. When you choose to yoke yourself to God, you have to move in His direction. He won't force you to remain yoked. He's a gentleman. You can take it off and you can go your own way. He's always given us choice. But if you choose to align yourself with Jesus, then you're choosing to move in the same direction that He is going. and He's by your side. The third thing with yokes is the purpose of yoking animals together is so they can complete a task. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So this is an invitation. He says, come join me in my my work. I'm inviting you into my mission. I'll set the direction. I'll share the workload with you. And remember, we're all moving towards someone or something. And so Jesus says, my mission is my kingdom. Come join me in building my kingdom here on earth. And the fourth thing, and this one's straight off Google. I discovered that when a farmer, and look, no one's going to hire me to work on a farm, so I'm just blindly trusting here, city boy. But I discovered that when a farmer yokes animals together, he will generally or she will generally choose, this is before tractors, by the way, because I guess we have machines nowadays, will generally choose to put an experienced animal with a less experienced animal. And the reason farmers do this is when they throw the yoke over, the experienced animal knows the direction to go in, the pace required to complete the tasks safely and satisfactorily by the end of the allotted time. You see, apparently you can get two like animals that are inexperienced and they'll have all the strength and all the ability to do the job but they won't know what pace to go at. They won't know what direction to go at. So they'll work this whole period of time. They will not achieve the task and they'll work themselves to exhaustion. And so what Jesus is saying when He says, be yoked to me, He says, I know the right speed. I know what you need to do. You see, the critical thing is followers Jesus to understand it is God's work. It's His. The outcome is His to control. And if we're truly going to build God's kingdom, then we have to agree to submit our agendas to His will. I was um, reading an article to prepare for tonight, and uh, one thing it said was this, and it's a pretty big thing to say, so not my words. Listen to this. It says, When you feel worn out... When you feel like you're on the verge of burnout, that's a sign that you've been doing things in your own strength or been trying to carry out an assignment that God did not give to you. When you are in ministry, when you're following Jesus, when you're trying to do the God thing, when you come to that point where you are tired and you're burnt out, that is a sign that you're now operating in your own strength or that perhaps you're trying to do something that God did not give you to do. And so is there something that perhaps you need to let go of or give back to God so that you can learn from Him and walk in His unforced rhythms of grace? Rhythms of grace. Rhythms of grace. What an apt expression. You see, Jesus is calling us to live 
in rhythm with him. <clears throat> to live in rhythm with Jesus is to be in step, in sync, in time with his will. Uh, when you think about rhythm from a music perspective, and I know a bunch of you are really musical, so a little bit awkward for me to talk on this topic. Gee, it's all my vulnerabilities have been exposed right now. But my understanding of rhythm is that there's a consistency. It means you're sticking to the tempo. Rhythm is about feel. It's about beat in a song. In music, when the rhythm is lost, yeah, the music sounds or feels bad. It's just wrong. And it's the same when we're following and serving Jesus. As we walk with Jesus, we need to walk in such a way that our lives and our actions are in consistent rhythm with him. But I want to be really clear. As we've been talking about being tired and as we've been talking about walking in step with Jesus, what we're not talking about here is personal comfort. Because personal comfort doesn't mean that you're necessarily living your life in rhythm with God. Take, for example, Paul. Remember Paul? He writes a huge chunk of the New Testament. Uh, <clears throat> irrespective of what religious background you have, uh, when you think about the most influential people in history, it's, it's Jesus, number one, and probably Paul, just based on the impact that Christianity has had through the millennia. And so we've got Paul in this number two position. So you'd think you'd have it pretty easy, right? You'd think that he's walking in step with God's story. Well, as we go through the story of Paul, you come to this uh, passage in, in Corinthians and he's talking about these occasions. In fact, there's three separate occasions where, where Paul says he's going through these extended seasons and he's complaining to God. He says, God, I've got this thorn in my sight. I've got this affliction. I've got this problem. Now we can speculate what his problem was. We don't actually know for certain, so I'm just not gonna go there. But Paul, he's serving God. He's super influential. So you'd think he has it easy, but no, Paul is struggling, struggling to a point that sometimes it's preventing him from just living with any form of comfort. So it's not just like, oh, dear Jesus, please take this pain away. There's these seasons where he is literally begging God. He is fasting, he is praying, he is worshipping, he's just doing whatever he can in his human strength to make this affliction go away. And God never gives him the answer to the prayer that he wanted. If you ever wonder who's got power when you're speaking, it's always a sound guy. They have absolute control over the microphone. Anyway, so Paul, he's got this problem. He begs for it to go away. It never, ever goes away. But in spite of this, what Paul says is something just, just so incredibly remarkable that it, it ministers to me. It hits me often in just a real deep way. And I hope as I unpack this little segment of Scripture with you that it hits you too. This is what God says to Paul. It's recorded in 2 Corinthians 12, if you want to read it later on. 2 Corinthians 12 is what God says. God says, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect. How? My power is made perfect in weakness. So God's saying, hey, Paul, 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 listen carefully. My grace is sufficient for you. It's my grace is what you need. And Paul, my power is perfect in your weakness. So Paul, he hears this message from God and then you gotta check out how he responds because he does something just ridiculously crazy on face value. He says, and I want you to capture this. He says, he says this, he says, okay, God, if that's the case, if your power is made perfect in my weakness, God, then I'm gonna boast 
all the more gladly in my weaknesses. In fact, Paul says, I'm going to take it even further. I'm going to delight. I am going to be happy because I am weak. In other words, Paul is saying, I thank God when I weak. I thank God when people insult me for serving Him. I delight when I am persecuted. I delight, I take pleasure, I take joy in hardship. And before you go, Paul, what do you know about hardship? Remember that this is Paul. He was Saul. He has this incredible God encounter. He becomes Paul. And as he moves out in ministry, he gets incredible experiences. But oh, it's not just all good news. It is Paul who was beaten. It was Paul who's been whipped. It is Paul who's been left for dead. It is Paul who's been shipwrecked. It is Paul who faced my nightmare and was bitten by a snake. It is Paul who's imprisoned. And he says, I delight in these hardships. Why? For when I am weak, then I'm strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Paul saying, I delight in this hard stuff because I don't have what it takes to get the job done. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't have the physical capacity. I do not have the mental faculties. I do not have the ability to think my way out of, speak my way out of, dig my, I cannot physically, personally do this. I do not have the strength to do this, but I tap into a power that goes beyond my human ability to understand. Paul says that residing within me is a supernatural power. It is the same power of God because I have the same spirit within me that Jesus had. You remember that Jesus, He was beaten, He was executed and He overcame death because the power of the Spirit, God's power resided within Him. And Paul says, when I am weak, when I am incapable, when I cannot do this, it is God's Spirit that I rely on. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In your journey with the Lord, have you ever experienced like that? Have you come to a moment where you just thought, I'm going to do this for you, Jesus, and then you find yourself trapped because you did not possess the answers or the gifting or the whatever it was required to do what was required. And then in your weaknesses, God came through. In the last 18 months, I feel like I've been really blessed because that's been a regular occurrence for me. I find myself in these meetings, I've been on my couch and there'll be someone on the opposite side and they'll be sharing with me some incredible turmoil or heartbreak. And if you know me well, you know that I do not have empathy. I am not a sensitive person. And if you want to rarely annoy me, you can cry because I just don't know what to do. I have worked out two moves. Spoiler alert, if you ever come cry in my office, if you're students, my two moves are this. I hand you my tissues, and if you cry lots, which some people have done, I then hand you my bin and you can fill it up. One person overflowed my bin and I was like, hey, I don't have a third move. (laughs) But you know, I've been in these moments where I've had no idea how to respond and I'm totally just inept in the space. And I've been sitting there, and at the right point, my lips have started moving. And words have come that I cannot possibly imagine thinking. Ah, because when I am weak, and there's been times when I've needed to preach and I've been underprepared or I've just not really understood and and something has come through. Ah, when I am weak, when I am weak. 
And what I've really come to realise in those moments when, when people need or God wants something to be done and I do not have the capacity to do it, what I've come to realise in those moments is that I'm sailing, I'm not rowing. You see, right now, some of you, you're in this room and you are rowing. Now, what I mean by this, and you just need to go on this imaginary journey with me, what I mean by this is I want you to imagine for a moment that, that you've walked out to a beach and you've sat into a rowboat and you've gotten an objective, you've got a task that you need to complete. I don't know what that task is, but if you think about your life, you think about the things that God's calling you to, you think about your struggles, you've got something and here you are in your rowboat and to complete whatever that something is, it's over there and you begin to row and you begin to work your way and you're working this through because you believe that you can get there and do you know what? You can probably get a good chunk of the way there because you are strong and you are capable and you've spent your life preparing for so many different things. I mean, you started in kindergarten, but right now you're in your 10 and you've got all this education so you know you can get through your next assessments. You've done your apprenticeship. You've got your degree. Perhaps you've been working, you're experienced. Or maybe you've got 10 years, 15 years of marriage under your belt. Surely you can work through conflict with your spouse. And so you, you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and you figure, look, I can work out this pornography addiction by myself and you're rowing. I can work out these anger issues by myself and you're rowing and you're rowing and you can keep doing that for a while, but I guarantee you this. For every person, when you're doing it in your own strength, there comes a point where you just get too tired. And you find yourself sitting there going nowhere. Or you find yourself losing sight of the target going around in circles. And sometimes the thing you need to do is just to let go of the oar. You let go of the oar and you need to hoist the sail. And you need to let the wind of the spirits propel you forward to where you're going. For when I am weak, it is God who is strong. Don't hold on to what you can't handle. You have been created to depend on God, to be yoked to Jesus. God invites you to come to Him, to follow Him. And as we follow, God invites us to let Him handle what we cannot. And tonight in this building, I know there are people who need to stop rowing and start sailing. The wind of God's Spirit is what you need, not your strength. God says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out from all that rowing? Come, come to me. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. You want to figure out how to move forward with the Lord? Look at Jesus, the perfect portrait and picture of how to live here. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. This is my prayer as we follow Jesus that each of us would journey yoked to God's side, learning his rhythms and living in the freedom that only Jesus can give. And so I just wonder what that might look like for you. And there's a bunch of questions that are going to come up on the screen for me right now. And as you look at these questions, we're going to spend some time, some music's going to play. And I know that everyone here will be able to access a piece of paper or a phone or something. But I think it's actually important that we take the time to stop. And we ask ourselves, what does coming to Jesus look like? Because what coming to Jesus looks slightly different for me than it might do for someone out there. Because we're all at different stages in our faith journey. What I have to let go of might be totally different. We are always moving towards someone 
and something is yours, Jesus, and the something, his kingdom? What are you relying on your own strength for? Is there an area in your life where you're just, you're doing what comes naturally, which is to row? But remember, to move to Jesus is counterintuitive. It's illogical when you first look at it. How can you start sailing? What areas of your life do you need God's strength? So I'm going to pray, and then there's going to be a time of space. And I know that in our busy 21st century schedule, space is a really awkward thing. But I want to encourage you, listen to the words of the song. Write down answers. Close your eyes and pray. But use this beautiful gift of time. Don't let your phone vibrate and rob you of this moment. So let me pray, and then I'll let you do this God time yourselves. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you, you are the perfect portrait of how to live. I thank you, Lord, that from the very beginning, you have stepped into the world that you created. Thank you, Father, that you created us for you to know you. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to respond I thank you, Father, that you are polite, that you knock, that you call to each and every single one of us. Would you give us the, the, the courage to respond to you, to answer your call to come to you? Lord, as we go through our lives, I ask that we would not do things in our own strength, that we would yoke ourselves, connect ourselves to you, that we would allow you to set the vision, the direction, the agenda for our lives. And as we do that, Lord, I ask that we would experience the great joy of walking alongside you, that we would know that though we are not capable, you are strong. We ask this for your kingdom, for your sake, for your glory. Amen. Amen.